Thank you for joining us. This is the Auto Guide Show brought to you by eBay Motors. I'm Mike. And I'm Kyle. This week, we have a big week. There are tons of first drives, including the new updated 2025 Ram. Not only did Kyle drive it, but we will speak to the senior brand manager. And then later on in the show, we'll cover some of the news. And for the questions, we talk about the most overrated and underrated features on a car. But first, let's have a word from our sponsor. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a driveway entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Welcome back. So we'll start with our uh, our first review story of the week. Um, just a heads up, there's a lot of Ram content this week, but it's uh, it's pretty insightful. So Kyle, you got to drive the Ram somewhere that looks warm and sunny. Where were you? We were in Austin. Well, just outside of Austin in Texas, but yeah. And uh, it was very cold just before we arrived. Uh, and then every single day we were there, it just kept getting warmer. So it was actually, yeah, perfect weather on the day that we drove. Did you do any off-roading? Because I went to Austin and we went just about an hour outside of the city and we hit this off-road park that was fun. We did do some off-roading in the Rebel. Uh, So that's mid-level in all of the trims. And yeah, we did some some slow stuff, some water fording, some downhill with the the assist that makes it super easy to do. Uh, And you can move up in... 0.6 0.6 mile per hour increments or one kilometer an hour increments anywhere from uh, one to five. Oh, cool. And so that was, that was handy. And then we also did some quicker stuff in the rebel and yeah, we're going, you know, 40 ish miles per hour on, on trails. And it was uh remarkably comfortable and obviously fun. Yeah. The Ram's always been quite comfortable for a pickup, but I mean, we haven't really touched on the biggest news is the death of the Hemi replaced by the turbo hurricane engine. I've driven it before. I know how good it is. So in the Ram, there's two levels, right? Yes. Yeah. There's a standard output, which is 420 horsepower. And then I want to say 469 pound feet of torque. I don't have the stats directly out front of me, but either way, both of those numbers are pretty sizable uh, improvements over the old Hemi. And then there is a high output available in some of the higher trims and that bumps it up to 540 horsepower and 521 pound-feet of torque. That's just insane from a three-liter. Like, if you put that yeah. engine in some sort of sports car, people would be like, "Oh my god, yeah, that's crazy power." And this isn't a truck. Imagine if they tuned it for performance. It could get well over 600. But anyway, um, so I have driven a Hemi pretty recently, and I'm looking forward to trying this. Does it feel like an improvement in power? It does feel like an improvement in power in the sense that, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a modern turbo engine, right? So you get power early on and it stays for a while. Um, it's so smooth because it's an inline six. So you just have an inherent balance to it. It You do miss the V8 rumble. I, I understand that that's kind of a, an appeal of a, of a Hemi. I get it. Um, but it does make for a much more smoother and, and more refined drive, I mean, from the inside and out. And that kind of feeds into uh, the other big news, which is the new top trim, the tungsten. It is standard with the high output. And this thing, I mean, it's pricey. I, I don't want to pretend otherwise. This thing is about 90 grand US and it's well over the six figure mark in Canada, but it is easily the most luxurious truck I have ever sat in or drove. Well, the limited I drove last summer with the e-torque Hemi, it was over. It was six digits in Canada too. Um, I assume the high output takes premium because that was the case with the Grand Wagoneer. Both outputs take premium. Oh, really? Even the regular one? Yes. Which makes sense when because I thought about that and I was a little surprised about it. But in terms of the output, I mean, you are looking at more than the EcoBoost in most F-150s. You're looking at knocking on the door of where the um 
the Sequoia, no, not the Sequoia, the Tundra engine is the, uh, the Chevy V8 also takes premium. So it's not that surprising, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's something to keep in mind for people who, uh, were going to be buying and replacing their Hemi. You are going to be have to have to put premium in it. Yeah. I obviously, like we just talked about, um, once it's available for us to get here locally, the turbo six has to go in a comparison against another turbo six, probably the Tundra, of course, the F-150. Yeah. So we'll line that up down the road. Um, our next story we didn't do. Uh, Dan Heyman, one of our freelancers, got to go drive the new Prologue. Uh, reading his review, it sounds like it's exactly what Honda should have done with it. It's one of those, it's an SUV that happens to be electric as opposed to an electric car that's an SUV. Um, it's obviously on a platform shared with the Equinox EV. What I like is the front wheel drive and the all wheel drive are both, I think it's like 212 and 288 horsepower. Like neither of them are crazy. They're what you need in a vehicle that size without going overboard. And the advantage is the range is nice. Um, it doesn't look way out there, like say an Aria or even the Ionic 5 can to a degree. Like it just blends in. So yeah, I think it's going to be sort of the, the regular person's EV that uh, apparently drives pretty well too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's good to hear. And Honda badly needed to get into this segment. So it's good that they're doing it. Um, I mean, we can't pretend that we haven't heard all the issues around that platform on the GM side. So here's hoping that uh, <laughs> that doesn't cause Honda any headaches. But yeah, I, I think it I think it looks good. Uh, it, like you said, it's, it's what Honda needed to do. And I, I very much look forward to past this when they start building their own fully independent EVs. Yeah, I mean, having not driven it, but just from hearsay from other reviewers and, and whatnot, it seems like this is sort of what Toyota was trying to do with the BZ4X, but I think Honda's probably pulled it off better, whereas something like the Aria is a slightly different class. I wouldn't say a class bigger because it's not that big, but it's going more after faster, more premium things like I think the Mach-E, whereas this is... Mm -hmm. You know, and it'll battle the, the the Ionic and the EV6 sort of lower power trims. But yeah, I think it's just very Honda, especially if it's um somewhat responsive to drive. Mm -hmm. And then we move on to another first drive that Kyle did. This one you traveled a little further away, I think. A little bit, yeah. We went to Portugal for this, and this is the first of three uh, first drives that you're going to see from us over the same amount of weeks. So the John Cooper Works Countryman kicks it off. This is the new Countryman because pretty much the entire mini lineup is changing for 2025. The classic model, the, the two-door, the Countryman, uh, they did confirm that a convertible is coming. It's going to be a little later, probably next year, but we will be seeing that as well. So yay, that stays. Um, but yeah, first in line is the JCW and Technically, I guess not a whole lot has changed in terms of the, the basic ingredients. You've still got a turbo four-cylinder. It's all-wheel drive. You're getting 312 horsepower. So we actually get slightly more than Europe because Europe is capped at 300. And it's a seven-speed dual clutch, but it's a bigger package. And I know that everyone loves to complain every single time any news comes out about a countryman. It's, oh, it's not very mini anymore. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I, I, I felt okay with it. I think the good thing now is that it's a pretty decent size for families. You don't feel cramped, which uh, could be the case in the old Countryman in the back seat. I think you drove that fairly recently. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, minis, minis become a lifestyle brand or even just a brand, not a description of their cars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're they're little smaller, but with the last Countryman I drove, the two things were it was small, like it was supposed to be, but it was bigger than real small. So it was kind of straddling that in between. So this is going to probably be, you know, more of that um, small compact SUV size. We're like the, the GLB and the X2 and things like that, the Q3, where, where those vehicles play. Um, yeah. And my other biggest complaint, which has nothing to do with the model you drove, was it was underpowered for its size. And the... Uh, S the the 
mid turbo engine is now like in the mid 200s which is where i think that vehicle needed to be as opposed to it was like it was under 200 before so yeah yeah i saw i saw that that uh that bump is happening where the s is now 241 horsepower and that sounds like a excellent amount i mean i should to to wrap up with the jcw i think it's a very fun car it's a blast to drive and it really does feel like a hot hatch because it's still not that big but it is pricey it still rides a little harsh um but yeah, if, if you don't need the full hot hatch treatment, I imagine the S is going to be really good for that. So I'm hoping to drive that later on this year. Yeah, the Countryman's a big favorite here with uh, the family here. Um, I wasn't sold on the styling at first, but the more I see it, I like it. But I don't know if I'll ever forgive Mini for canceling the Clubman. That was my favorite, and it's gone. I know, and we saw a bunch of them during the drive, completely accidentally, right? But uh, yeah, it was... It was a, a, a little frustrating. I have a lot of thoughts about the interior, but I'm going to save those for actually um, another episode where I talk about the all-electric one. All right, sounds good. So um, sort of wrapping up our drives this week, I spent a week in the Land Rover Defender 110 P500 SE, which is a long name. But uh, last year I was in the 130, which is the super stretched one, uh, P400, which alludes to the inlines, inlines, yeah. Um, turbo mild hybrid um that i i like that the third row seat was huge in that for basically being grafted on you'd think it would be you know absolutely tiny it was one of the better three rows i've ever sat in in a suv i was really surprised and mm -hmm. it still drove nice the engine was smooth um the mild hybrid worked really well which isn't the case in a lot of those systems um it on the highway it just kind of hummed along in the city there's always a little bit of power on tap there was no delays anyway so i took this thinking you know maybe the two seat with the v8 is sort of more of a a step up premium wise it didn't feel that way inside like it not to say it's not premium it's just the other one's already so nice but what mm -hmm. i really liked about this is it's got so much cargo space even though it doesn't have the stretched back because it's on the same wheelbase it has very little overhangs front and rear and you can lift it over 11 inches in the air so it's got a lot of off-road capability and the v8 makes a nice sound like it's just a subtle sound i i wish there was like a loud button like the svr jag gets or or some of the bmws get but if you get on it you still hear it what's confusing though is this is the se that has the v8 but this isn't the defender v8 they are two different models uh, and oh. with two different outputs. So the Defender 110 P500 SE has 493 horsepower. But if you get the Defender 110 P525 V8, you get uh, a little bit more like 518 or something. And mm -hmm. then the, the V8 also has like 22 inch tires um, perform or 22 inch wheels, performance tires. All So it's, it's more like meant to be one of those performance SUVs that's going to really stay on road. So this mm -hmm. is the one I like because it's a little cheaper too it has just 20 inch wheels with more sidewall it's more of the all around so um yeah driving this unless you just want the sort of i don't know the flash of the v8 i guess that's why you'd get it but this is this is the one to get if you're getting a 110 um if you're getting a 130 go for the six because that's probably meant more for family duties but this i mean it still drives a little harsh it is a an off-road bias vehicle but it's a great alternative i think to the usual albeit smoother luxury players like the Mercedes GLE, BMW X5. I, I like its style because it's unique. It just, I, I'd walk up to it or get into driving and just feel like, oh, I, I don't know. I can't explain it, but it just gives you this feeling that feels like it's, it's a little unique and different. I would definitely take a look at this over those if I had that kind of money. I think uh, it definitely is calling for a comparison with the new Lexus GX once we have access to that, because they're both, yeah, like you said, just a little bit left field of the traditional luxury players in this segment. Yeah. V8 versus uh, hybrid. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the news. Um, it seems like every podcast we talk about it, but more on the Mazda CX-70. So we got pricing, which, surprise, surprise, is basically the same as the cx90 uh there's no real news i mean it was sort of i think it was basically mazda's first real confirmation on the uh engines that it will be in it the two power levels which we already had heard about and that the hybrids coming down the road the plug-in 
but yeah, I mean, if you do side by side comparison of pricing and trims, it's very similar. So it's kind of making me feel more and more like this might just be a two row CX 90, but again, I need to drive it, see if there's anything different. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much all we can say is, uh, we'll see. It, it seems like a reasonable price against, um, you know, like a Lexus or infinity for what it's worth. Yeah. And if they, <laughs> um, you know, sort of ironed out those hesitations with the transmission engine tuning that was well, nothing wrong with either. It's just the way they interacted. Then yeah, I think you're up to playing there. I still think it should have been the CX 80 though, being sort of like a, a two seat version of three, and then you'd leave something open to make a 70 between the 50 and 90. But anyway, time will tell. Yes. Next story. Uh, Volvo also gave us some news. They're changing the name. Basically, they're changing the name of a couple cars because they want to have um, uniform naming for their gas and for their electric vehicles. So the XC40 has changed its name and it's now going to be the EX40 to match the EX90 and EX30. And the C40 is the EC40, which is new, but I think that would give you the idea that an all-electric S60 or S90 down the road will be the EC60 or the EC90. And I mean, EC, electric car, EX, electric crossover, like, it makes sense. It it does, but um, whoever is at Volvo, whoever keeps doing this, because I feel like two years ago, they changed a lot of their... Um their trims and badge names too. They went from B's to T's or, or vice versa or somewhere oh, okay. along the, so, so whoever is doing this at Volvo, please just give us a break for a year. Stop, stop renaming everything. Yeah, I, I understand the uniform. It, it makes sense. I get it, but then just, just take a break. That's all I ask. Yeah. And I feel bad for some of the dealership personnel when you have an XC40 gas sitting beside an EC40 electric, but it looks basically the same. But mm-hmm. I, I figure like the next gen will separate them more. But maybe Mazda and Volvo can just have a little talk about what that's like to have two differently badged but very similar vehicles on the showroom floor. Yeah. And in fairness to Volvo, when Infinity did this, now it's almost a decade ago, it was like, geez. But now if we, we're used to it. We got it. So it's true. Yeah. Uh, then there was the study that came out, which isn't overly surprising, but if you don't want to get hit driving, get a brake car that people can see. So an actual study looked, this was actually an Australian study, but years and years and years ago, there was a similar one in North America. They looked at all the collisions that had taken place over a multi-year period and cars that were black, dark gray, a dark color, like a ruby red or something, they were more likely to get in collisions than whites and bright yellows and silvers. So um, I remember someone told me when I was probably just starting to drive, if you don't want the police to see you, if you're speeding, get a dark car, but then motors also won't see you. So if you don't speed and you want to be seen, get a bright car. If you're doing things that might get you in trouble and you don't care if you get hit. I guess get a dark car. I uh, I haven't I, I haven't looked into the details of this study, but what I'm curious about is it more likely because per capita because there's very few um, bright color cars on the road, or is it literally just well, yeah, like dark color cars get in more accidents because they're everywhere. No, no, it was by percentage. So okay, okay, um, it was something I can't remember the numbers. It, Go to the go to auto guide and read the article. But it was like, let's say twenty percent of cars were white cars. They only got like thirteen percent of the accidents. Something gotcha. like that. Okay. Um, yeah, and like it, what what I find interesting is the three colors they say get the least is yellow, silver, and white. And yellow and white I get because they're both bright. Silver, I guess. But like, what about a, a bright hmm. red? They, and they specifically say avoid dark colors like pink. And pink's not a dark color in my books, but I mean, it was on that one boxer we had a, a little while ago. <laughs> It was a yeah. darker pink. But yeah, I mean, I get it in uh, nighttime conditions, fog. Yeah, it's, if they don't have lights on, you won't see them. Whereas a brighter color might stick out, especially if it's parked on the road. I've I've uh, come upon parked cars. I'm like, oh, geez, there's a car there because it was so dark. And... It's true. Yeah. Um, uh, another story that's, again, no surprise. The smaller, lower powered <laughs> Land Cruiser is a lot cheaper than the last giant v8 one uh it's not smaller um what i mean is it's it's um it's not built on a giant truck chassis the big v8 like it used to be it's it's still truck based but with the hybrid and and whatnot it's got quite the price reduction 
Yes, I mean, that's not surprising, like you said, considering where it's now sitting. It, uh, I'm, it sort of starts where the Forerunner more or less ends. So it gives that continuation for people buying an off-roader in a Toyota dealership. And uh, yeah, and it stays underneath the related Lexus GX. So yeah, makes a ton of sense. They should sell a bunch of them, provided dealers don't mark it up. Which they will for a first year or two, but after yeah. that, we'll see how it goes. The um, like the old Land Cruiser, part of the problem too was you got it loaded. Like there wasn't really a, a down market version. It's not like this has a, a stripped out version, but there's just a full range here. Um, mm-hmm. So that's part of it too. Well, that wraps it up for news. We are going to hear from our sponsor once again. And when we come back, we will be talking all things RAM with uh, Ram USA. So stick around and we'll talk to you soon. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Do you remember your first car? I sure do. I was fresh out of university and I wanted nothing more than a car. So I went to some dealers with two things in mind. I wanted a two-door coupe and I wanted a manual transmission. After looking around, I finally ended up with a 2003 Oldsmobile Alero coupe with a five-speed manual and a four-cylinder engine. A lot of people didn't understand why I bought that car, but I loved it. I would take it everywhere. I also wanted to modify it. I put a lot of parts on that didn't work. I put on some wheels and they ended up ripping apart my rear brakes and I had to get rid of them. My intake, my exhaust, my suspension and some interior bits were all custom made. It would have helped so much if there was some sort of way that I could get guaranteed parts for my car back then. Another thing I loved to do with the car was I would take it drag racing. I would do low 15 seconds and thought I was so fast, which I wasn't. But you know what? I was having a blast and I was getting to run the car harder than I was allowed to on the street. I also went to a lot of charity car shows, road trips, and weeks up at the cottage. I had the car for almost two years until one day it was written off in a snowstorm in Detroit by a mail truck. It was a sad day and I really missed that car. One day, maybe I'll get another Alero, but for now, I'll just have good memories of this car and how much fun I had with it. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Okay, welcome back, everyone. We have a special guest from Ram today. Uh, Brant, why don't you introduce yourself and what you do for the company? Yeah, hey, I'm Brant Combs, Ram, uh, brand manager for Ram Light Duty Pickups, uh, which will include the new 2025 Ram 1500 uh, and, and a handful of other products and exciting news that we have coming later this year. So we have a, a lot going on over here um, and, and you know, excited about uh, talking about all of it today. Just you mentioning for light pickups, just kind of triggered my mind that I don't think everyone realizes how massive the pickup world is because like there's so much for light duty and then you got the heavy duty and then you got the like the commercial grade. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. There's just so much out there. Yeah, um, we, anyway, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> no, go ahead. So, no, it's just as far as things we have coming this year, right? I mean, we, we, just with light duty alone, we've got the new 25 truck, but then we have uh, more news about sport truck lineup, which is part of that, which is, you know, the Rebel, um, and then and then some new product coming. And then we've got uh, our Stella Frame platform coming in Q4, which, you know, is, is EV, uh, our first you know, introduction into electric vehicle trucks. We, we've got a lot of, of light duty news and, and and even inside of light duty, which is inside of Ram with all the other nameplates you mentioned, um, there's there's certainly a lot going on. Yeah, so um, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, Kyle was actually at the first drive event. Uh, you two were hanging out earlier this week. So I'll let him start with the questions because he has firsthand uh, knowledge of the truck right now. It's true. Yeah, uh, thanks, Mike. And thanks, Brant, for joining us. Um, One thing that a lot of the journalists and colleagues uh, at the event were asking about or talking about, I guess, amongst ourselves is, I mean, the Hurricane, the new three liter uh, inline six turbo engine in the high output form, it has a higher specific output than like a BMW M3. So during that, you showed a quick durability test video at the launch event. And so could you maybe go into a little more detail for listeners and viewers uh, about you know, what exactly RAM does for that sort of testing for a new engine? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that video that you were describing is is pretty cool, right? It shows that engine going through the paces, right? High, high rev, all different, you know, articulations and angles and, and ups. That's it's it's very cool, and that's that's just a small piece of of what we go through. Um, I think one thing that's interesting to talk about when you're talking about what we what we put the engines through is that that's a vehicle specific test, not a powertrain specific test. So everything that our Pentastar V6 or our 5.7 Hemi or our 6.2, all the all of the truck tests, right? This new powertrain has to meet those, right? So this isn't a, a new, unique, um, you know, structure for a smaller displacement turbo engine. This engine has to do what truck customers expect this engine to do, right? So it, it, it's going through all the paces, if not more, uh, than the legendary Hemi's did, right? And then the the 3.6 Pentastar, uh, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, been a great engine for us for a while. Um, so, so, you know, I think that's an important thing to think about. It goes through all the same things. It's 150,000 mile, you know, base test. It goes through deserts. It goes through, you know, those brutally icy spots in Minnesota. It, it does the, the, the towing passes, right? It goes through all the same things that the, the trucks were expected to do previously. Yeah, I spent the summer, well, the whole summer, but I took a 3,000-mile road trip in a uh, Ram Limited with the Hemi e-Torque, and I was impressed with the whole package. So I'm looking forward to trying the new engine. I've driven a slightly less powerful one in the Grand Wagoneer, and um, that that's a very heavy vehicle, and it did really well. Like, I was really impressed. In my article, as Kyle said, I think I mentioned it makes more power than the M3 CSL or whatever whatever they call that, which is crazy. Yeah, it's a lot of power from a small package, it, but it it is uh, it it is a you know it's a straight six twin turbo engine, right? I mean it's it's not it's not it's not a small uh, engine, right? Even though the the displacement is only three liters, I mean this thing can do some serious work. Uh, you know, it's it's towing you know eleven and a half thousand pounds, uh, five hundred forty horsepower. Uh, you know, you're it, it it can it can perform. And it's significant jump over over the five seven Hemi, right? Even in the standard output form, over twenty five horsepower increase, you know, and that's what's going to be in, in a, a lot of our lineup, right? That's what's optional on Tradesman and Bighorn. That's what's coming standard with Laramie and Rebel. Uh, you know, and we're gonna we're gonna continue to see a little bit more Rebel uh, this year, and and those standard output will be in that truck. I know Kyle got to experience that as well. Um, you know that that engine mm-hmm. performs well, not just from uh, you know towing and and the cold and the snow and the sand that we talked about from a testing standpoint, but really the off-road paces that we, that we took it through. It's incredibly comfortable uh, and, and responds uh, extremely well uh, to anything that you want to do with that sport type truck as, as well. So mm-hmm. kind of um, leading into what you're talking about there with the, the new turbo sort of replacing the V8s, what do you see as sort of the next big challenges over the next decade? Like the, in the pickup market like what, what do you think ram has to do in the next decade or or all the competitors will have to do yeah there's going to be a lot of changes in the light duty pickup segment over the next 10 years a lot um you know inside of that next 10 years is 2030 right and that's what we've set out as our as our target to be 50 percent ev and so we talked a little bit about this that this week uh, that's that's a significant change in the market, but it's also still 50% ICE vehicles. So we were really excited to talk about what we've changed in that 50% uh, for this hurricane engine and, and how it helps us meet those goals. Uh, but then with the EV coming on the other end, we've we've talked about uh, we we announced it last you know April and in, in New York the Rev. You know we're we're entering the EV segment from a best in class position. The truck will have. You know, we talk to truck customers about what they need in a truck, and we really feel like we put that package together. Um, so that's coming in Q4. But to answer your question about the change in the segment over that period of time, um, you know, those are kind of the two bookends, ICE and Pure EV. But we've got another truck coming in the middle uh, with the Ram Charger that I think really helps kind of solve that that transition question that you're asking. And, and I think it answers a lot of questions for a lot of people about, you know, the transition from trucks and ICE into EV um, with something that has all the benefit of an EV truck when it comes to instantaneous torque and power uh, and capability, uh, but eliminates a lot of that range anxiety. And you can be on, you know, potentially have your whole week uh, go by with with full electric, you know, and and charging that truck at night and and then not have to change the way you operate when you hit the road for a long trip, uh, like what you referenced earlier, you know, hitting the road for a long trip. You, you You can do that the way that you do it now. And so I think 
you know, that truck will be a big piece uh, of that transition over the next few years. Yeah, I, thank I you imagine. for answering. Sorry, sorry, go ahead, Kyle. I was going to say, I think you're answering Kyle's next question that he had already. So. Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, that's the the fascinating thing about Ram Charger, right? Is is and we talked about it very briefly at the event this week. Uh, no one else is really doing this approach, and, and so you've already covered Brant fairly well there about why Ram sees the need for the Ram Charger kind of in in the middle, but. Um, yeah, why do you why do you think that is that that you know you're sort of uh, alone in, in taking this approach so far in this segment? Well, we're we're moving to EV, right? So Ram Ram Rev is coming, and and Ram Rev, the fully electric you know offering is a is a like I said a best in class positioning. So we're very very excited about that truck. But mm-hmm. we ask truck customers, you know, what, I think this answers the question for both Rev and Ram Charger, uh, because we asked truck customers what they needed to be in consideration for that next, you know, wave of light duty pickups. And the answers were capability, right? Towing, range, and charge time. And so we feel like we put together, you know, a package with Rev that answered all of those. And then to take it a step further for the number one, detractor, which is range and range anxiety, we we answered that question even further with the Ram Charger. And so I, I think I think that's where that progression comes from. And that's, you know, that's where we saw that need uh, and, and believe we're going to put a package together that truck customers, current truck customers uh, will really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thanks. I can't believe more people aren't taking that approach in general, not just with trucks. I mean, some competitors have done the whole gas engine as a range extender and i think as you said for the transition it makes sense and with the pickup i can the thing we always hear about the other electric pickups that are out there is oh when you tow you lose your range and mm-hmm. things like that like it can tow no problem but the range goes down so as you said you could drive electric all week long and then if you have a weekend tow you have that gas engine to extend your range it's just i mm-hmm. think that's the i think that's the one that's going to really change things as we get to full ev um and then transitioning to the the rev we saw obviously at the auto shows and what's coming the thing that really stood out to me is the size of that battery which is massive and should hopefully um deliver better range and take care of some of the range anxiety was that you've kind of alluded to it but that was that a big factor for customers yeah yeah well the fact the factors are the ones that i that i just shared right it's it's range capability and charge time. And so we believe we put together, you know, a package in the way that they're configured with the 350 mile and the 500 mile setups to answer those three needs uh, in the most, you know, efficient packaging, right? That's, that's what we were after. And so 350 miles, that's a big number, right? That's a, that's a fuel, you know, a normal, you know, standard fuel tank, you know, vehicle now, right? That our light duty pickup now, that 500 mile range is, you know, uh, a, a large fuel tank and, and you know, something that, that people would, you know, can configure now in an ICE vehicle. So those are big, right? Because that's, that's part of the transition. Can this truck do what my truck did previously? Uh, charge time's a big one, right? When you get into larger batteries that answer that call. So, you know, being able to charge at 800 volts, being able to do, you know, 10 minute in 10 minutes, about 110 miles, that's a big deal, right? For guys transitioning to the way that they're that they're charging or filling up, right? To pick up, right? They they need that to happen quickly. Uh, they can't plan hours of the day when that truck's not running. In a lot of cases, they're not making money, or they're not accomplishing what they're trying to do, or they're not, you know, getting their their family to the place they're trying to go. And so, um, all of that, still being able to tow fourteen thousand pounds. <laughs> is is a lot right that's that's we like to say no compromise i mean i think that truly is the target right to to bring in all of the factors that a truck customer needs and and not make them feel like they're having to sacrifice something to do it that's great so kyle yeah. i want to ask your uh, tradesman question now yeah well i mean talking about uh like no compromise and and you know giving them all the tools uh on the on the event the tungsten, I have to say, is is incredible. And as a luxury truck, it really does kind of set the bar now in terms of genuine luxury vehicles that just happen to be pickups. Uh, but I was very impressed with the Tradesman and the content uh, improvement there. And, you know, just the with the standard output Hurricane, it's 
plenty quick. It's a really nice overall package that kind of moves away from the idea of like a, a work truck. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering from your perspective, Brent, do you see, we, you see the demand for something like tungsten, but are you seeing a change in, in people maybe wanting more of like a back to basics truck and does tradesmen kind of address that? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I think that the tradesmen will be a bigger piece for us in the coming year, particularly for for what you mentioned, right? Um, people are people are cost conscious, but also you know the features and and safety and security and uh, you know infotainment and everything that if it's making it down into that trim, right? It, we're we're meeting their needs, and you know one thing that I always uh, have really tried to consider with that tradesman trim is is not so much. Uh, you know, a price walk or an entry level trim, and then you add content as you go up. There are pieces of content that are commercial customers, that are work customers, that people that truly use a tradesman trim truck that they need, right? So just because it's content or has cost doesn't mean that that doesn't belong in a tradesman pickup, right? And so we tried really hard to figure out, to make, to make that balance, right? To what what is that that they want? They need a bigger screen. They need to be able to see that backup screen in in detail they have to have bluetooth right everybody's got to be able to have easily you know detecting their phones using wire you know while they're working while they're running around town while they're using nav on their phone whether they're using our nav system right they've got to be able to have trailer reverse steering control that seems like a luxury right <laughs> to have that knob that's back but when you get into work applications that's who's using that and so mm -hmm. those things are really important to us to make sure that uh, adaptive cruise control you know a little bit larger screen the safety and security, the pedestrian detection, that those uh, blind spot monitoring, you know, those are things that are important to companies as well, right? Like the safety, um, getting getting the people using that truck home at night safely, super important, even, even for an entry level truck. And so I think you see the things that are important move down into that tradesman trim and become standard across the lineup, but while maintaining, you know, while maintaining uh, that competitive price. And I think how we talked about that a little bit, right? The price of the tradesman didn't go up, right? So we added a lot of that content. Uh, so the value proposition definitely improved from 24 to 25 on the tradesman pickup. Yeah, it's a, it's a really appealing package and I hope Mike gets a chance to, to drive it just like I did. Yeah, yeah um, so just two quick things before we wrap up. One, I was looking at this yesterday, getting ready for this call. I'm old enough to have been in my 20s when the original Ram SRT10 came out. And this new truck and the high output makes more power than that, which is crazy. Because I remember driving that thing the first time and being blown away at the power. So, yeah, that's just some some relation on how much power there is. For sure. And I think with the combination of the luxury, the, the trims that it's coming in, it's it's an all-inclusive all package. I encourage everyone to, to spend some time getting that 24-way seat configured to their, you know, the, to their needs. <laughs> Turning, uh, you know, getting their streaming service connected. Uh, so that they can really get into that Klipsch audio system that's 1,228 watts and 23 speakers with a 12-inch sub and has those cool Klipsch horns up in the A-pillars and, you know, have all of that, all of those senses going, right, and feeling very comfortable, but then also really leaning into 540 horsepower at the same time and really getting to enjoy it. Um, it's definitely an experience, particularly for uh, for light-duty pickup. Yeah. All right, so this is a completely different topic, but you uh, are you driving anything cool, or do you have anything cool stored away for the summer? I'm right now. I'm driving the 25 tungsten. I mean, there's there's no <laughs> nice. there's no better truck to drive. Right, getting a little getting some miles on that one, getting to kind of experience all that it offers. So I'm really uh, I'm really enjoying that one. I think that one's going to be really hard to turn in. <laughs> I've, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to appreciate it now while I've got it because uh, from a complete package, uh, it doesn't get much better than that, particularly for my family. I've uh, you know, got a son that plays hockey. We're, we're traveling all over the area and uh, it's it's perfect for the whole family to pile in, be incredibly comfortable, keep the that gross bag in the back there along with everybody else's. Uh, <laughs> keep the hockey bag going. out of the so, passenger so spot. Yeah, <laughs> we, we really appreciate it. It's the, it's the perfect setup for us. All right. Well, yeah, I look forward to seeing it in real life and hearing more about uh, it from Kyle next time I see him. I mean, he's already told me a lot earlier. So we, we thank you a lot for coming on and we hope to have you back on when you have some more uh, like truck news down the road this year or next year. All right. That sounds great. I look forward to it. All right. Thanks. thanks. Much, see you. All right. Well, that was a great talk with uh, Brent. We learned a lot. Um, he obviously is really 
passionate about the vehicles he sells and well doesn't sell but helps create which is good because you need that i mean he's not just there as a, a job he seems to really care so we're going on to uh listener questions we didn't have any this week and the comments still were going on about the cx70 seems to be quite the hot topic so i thought of a question we can ask and i selected this photo by random but apparently it's saying kyle's overrated and can't really disagree no no it's, uh, it's sure. um so anyway what we wanted to talk about overrated and underrated are features on vehicles so what is it in modern cars that is underrated and you not necessarily can't live without but when you get in a vehicle that doesn't have it you really notice it's missing and what features in every new car you drive you can't stand and you feel are overrated so have you thought of any or should i start well since this is your kind of uh, your idea, I feel like you should lead, especially because I don't want to pick something random. And then if I happen to pick yours, then you're left on the spot. So uh, yeah, I think I think you should go first. All right, I'll tell you my overrated and underrated. Okay. And then after yours, I'll tell you one that I know is going to be controversial because you and I have very differing opinions on it. So um, underrated is the heated steering wheel in the winter. It's like a, a needed feature. I'm so used to it now because I just much prefer to drive without gloves on. But when it's below freezing by a good chunk, you can't at first until the vehicle warms up. And then when it does, you take your gloves off and the wheel's frozen, especially if it has any like metal or wood inserts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, along with that sort of frill, it's 360 cameras. I, I can't believe how much I like them and I get in a car that doesn't have one. And when I'm like backing into a parking spot, it's like, oh, I can't see the lines on my screen. I mean don't necessarily need them but i'm just so used to them being there and then i get in my car that doesn't have a backup camera it's quite a a change um so what's your uh, underrated oh my underrated okay so we are just doing one at a time and then okay all right uh my underrated is um sort of related but not ventilated seats um but more specifically ventilated uh, ventilated seats should be in more performance vehicles uh, <laughs> as someone who's done a fair amount of track days at, at different events, uh, getting into bucket seats um, in, on a warm day on a track, uh, yeah, just ventilated seats would be really nice. I think that would be very well appreciated by anyone who buys them. Yeah, especially the ones that have the fake Alcantara or suede. I get it. It grips you and you don't move and it does, but it also gets you very sweaty. Yeah, it keeps everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so overrated. Uh, I know it's a safety feature and some people really like it and some people need it, even if they won't admit it, but lane keep systems drive me nuts. I almost disable it as soon as I get a car and they're getting worse for some reason. Like they used to give me a light nudge or make the warning now if they pick up some random like tar line in the road or a skid mark and they think it's the road line they will yank the car that way and sometimes like trying to yank you right off the road and i have to physically wrestle with the wheel um these are growing pains as we try to get i guess autonomous but yeah most of them are way too aggressive and they're not picking up the right lines i just usually just an immediate off when i get in a car mm-hmm so what's your overrated feature? Uh, I have two, if, if that's, if you'll let me. All right. All right. So one, um, native navigation. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't really see the, the need nowadays. I mean, unless you're going to be like a certain OEM and just start removing CarPlay and Android Auto. Um, we all have systems in our pocket that can handle navigation. And we're more used to it because we use that all the time when we're not in a car. So I don't really understand the need of native navigation. I will say I understand that there can be a benefit with EVs right now. If it's better integrated with the system, it can understand your current charge rate, your charging history or your your usage consumption history. And so it could maybe map you more accurately to where you need to charge. I, I get that, but largely native nav, I just, I don't see the point. But my other one, um, related to the RAM, because we haven't talked about that in a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> normally, I would say digital rearview mirrors are overrated because I, it seems strange to me. And I personally have a hard time focusing on them. I, I understand if 
you know, you have stuff in the way. And so that's the only way to see out the back. But normally when I see people driving with an empty vehicle and it on, I don't understand because it takes longer for your eyesight to adjust. Uh, the Ram 1500 though does have a cool new feature that they talked about at the event where if you integrate it with a trailer, you can still see the back beyond the trailer with an additional camera um, in a way that you, it won't take up the central screen, the central touch screen, because that's normally where camera views are, right? But because of a digital rear view, you see the back behind the trailer and then you still have your entire touch screen to do your normal stuff with. And I thought that was a, a pretty clever usage of this otherwise overrated feature. Yeah, the uh, I agree with the digital rear view cameras. And it's funny, when I did that long road trip with the Ram, that's the only time I kept it on. And it's because oh, yeah. I think they've done a good job like integrating theirs, and it just helps not having to look over the bed. But yeah, um, normally I don't even turn them on. Um, and to your other point about the native nav, don't get me started on a rant about taking CarPlay out of cars. Like <laughs> people are literally not going to buy a car over that one thing as inconsequential as it may seem. Like, yeah, because then you have to have your phone glued to the screen and you're not going to force or convince people to use another system just because you know, whatever reason it's been put in. But anyway, I think that's one of those things like Honda removing their volume knob that will be quickly 180 <laughs> in a couple of years when everyone just complains and the sales start going down or customers are outraged. So, because all the customers are probably going to buy it not knowing that. And then they'll go to plug in their phone and be like, wait, what? Yeah. So, anyway, uh, so my final overrated, uh, I know we're going on in this segment, but. I cannot stand and think there's no use for one pedal driving on EVs. And a study <laughs> has come out proving that one pedal is actually less efficient than um, any other driving mode, basically. So it's jerky. I don't like it. I, I get it uh, on a track. It kind of be cool, but yeah, I know you love it, but I can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> it's whenever we swap vehicles, when we have EVs, that's always the thing, right? It's like, I've turned on the most aggressive regen possible and you've turned on the whatever way to have it feel most like a ICE vehicle. I can't remember which manufacturer, Mercedes maybe, um, has come out and basically said, not like absolutely zero regen on is the most efficient way for the EV, just letting it free glide, you know, assuming you're driving well, but um, yeah, anytime you're trying to get a little regen, you're losing more than you're gaining speed to power wise. I don't know the specifics, but there's been a couple studies now. Um, I'm sure there's some manufacturers out there that have an in-between that nails it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, and I absolutely hate following someone that's using it because every time they let go of the gas, the brake lights come on. You think they're stopping because something's going on. It's usually Tesla's because everyone drives that way on the Tesla. Um, yeah. And then you start braking all the time until you realize, and then now you realize what's happening. So when the brake lights come on, you start ignoring it, thinking it's one pedal until there isn't a panic stop. So yeah, it's just poorly conceived idea. That is something I'm very mindful of when I'm driving on the highway with one pedal is, is I'm like, ah, shoot, I, I can't, I can't lift off because it will look like I'm braking. So I will sometimes turn it off on, on the highway. Yeah. Around town, I get it, especially stop and go traffic. It's great, but a lot of mm -hmm. cars have sort of a, some sort of stop and go system with their adaptive crews that can do that. It's true. All right. So this is a uh, going on. So we'll just quickly cover what's <laughs> next. So this week uh, you were driving the Ram, but you just got back and you have that uh, Visa Camry we talked about last week. So, uh, you know, last of a breed. Yes. And uh, to really drive home the point of this vehicle, I was uh, out doing groceries with my wife last night and as I was loading stuff into the car, a dad walked by and was like, is this custom or is this from the factory, this TRD kit? I was like, oh, it's a, it's a factory option. He's like, oh, I really like this. It looks cool. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm enjoying driving it so far throughout the week. Yeah, I think cool dad's sort of what they're going after with that car or cool yeah. mom, you know, someone yeah. that needs the practicality, basically, of a family car, but doesn't want to look like they're just in another crossover. Mm -hmm. Um Speaking of crossover, so the CX-30 I picked up, I swore I booked the turbo, but I got the non-turbo, which I'm actually really excited about because I don't know if I've ever driven a 30 without the turbo. Okay. Um, and it's still the loaded model, but um, it's going to be one of the players in, our, in an upcoming super comparison that will inform you guys about more as we get closer. I'm sure this is the probably exact vehicle. <laughs> but there's a lot of features in it that, for the class, is a surprise. I mean, 
go higher up, you, you find them, but not sort of in the more mainstream. And, and I looked at the pricing and it's pretty much on par with like the cross, like the loaded up cross tracks and Teos and Seltos. But yeah, like it has front parking sensors, power lift gate, the white uh, washer wipers, the washing fluids built into the wipers, the wet wiper style thing. I mean, then it's got little like frill things like who cares, but like light up side sill plates. And it just feels more like you're in a little premium near luxury vehicle. So it'll be interesting because um, the non-turbo engine, it's fine for this the class. Like it feels like all the other vehicles upgrades. So mm -hmm. the only time you really feel it is on the highway, like any cars, you know, weight and wind are against you. But in town, it's pretty responsive. So uh, more on that down the road with my full review. And then next week, we have a comparison of crossovers. Two more that Which, might be in that same comparison. Yeah, we're uh, we're getting we're getting started on them early before we see all of them together in the spring. Yeah, so uh, Corolla Cross Hybrid versus um, Seltos, I think it's the X line. So that, that'll be interesting because it's two sort of different takes to get to the same point. So it should be interesting. Um, it's, and it's also a rematch of sorts because back when the uh, Corolla Cross launched, we put that up against the Seltos, but that was the pre-facelift. And that was the non-hybrid Corolla Cross. And so the Seltos won there. Uh, so I'm, I'm very curious to see if that happens again with these ones. Well, yeah, like our biggest complaint was sort of the general around the drivetrain. There's some other complaints mm -hmm. too, but that was one of the big ones. So even if it still acts the same, but gets way better economy. I mean, we've driven enough hybrid Toyota products. We know what we're kind of going to be in for, so it should impress. Mm -hmm. uh, and no one's going on trips next week. That's pretty nice. Get a full week at home to, to work. Yeah, it's been uh, six weeks, so <laughs> yeah, it's good. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to the Auto Guide show brought to you by eBay Motors. That's all for this week, and we hopefully will see you next week. Have a good one. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a driveway entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with the eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.